On the White House lawn, September the 15th, 2020, the peace agreements brokered by the United States of America between Israel, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain were signed. The peace agreements between the nations would be known as the Abraham Accords, in homage to the biblical patriarch of both Jews and Muslims. The Accords have ushered in a new era for Israel and the Gulf region, enabling diplomatic relations, trade, commerce, tourism and cultural exchange. The Accords have the potential to impact the trajectory of the Middle East. The Abraham Accords podcast will be your source of quality conversation for anyone interested in the region with weekly guests on a range of topics from all signatory nations. My name is Robert Curtis and I will be co-hosting this podcast with Fleur Hassan Nahum, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem and my co-founder of the UAE Israel Business Council. Thank you for joining us. Fleur, how are you? Great, Rob. Wonderful to be back. Wonderful to be back on our podcast, interviewing interesting people. How are you? I am doing well. Um, I'm pleased that the country is sort of hopefully returning to some normality and um, we're seeing people out in restaurants and cafes and schools going back and masks not being worn outside. I just hope that, you know, please God that this is the, the, the beginning of the end now. I also feel that way. That's going to normality and our political system is going to abnormality. So maybe that's a balance. What do you think? I know. It's look, it's <laughs> it's 10 podcasts all in one. But you were in Dubai last week. You were you are literally Ambassador <laughs> Fleur. Come on. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Um, so yes, I was in Dubai last week and I love Dubai. Um, and I have really very deep friendships there now. Um, and of course I was uh part of the signing of a historic uh, MOU between a, a, uh, the main government news agency there and uh, the government news agency here, Chat Speed, um, and also and a wonderful event with the Gulf Israel Women's Forum, where we did Yom Mazikaron together, Muslim, Christian, and Jewish women. It was very, very moving, and uh, all in all, just a, an incredibly wonderful week. Fantastic. Well, I'm excited to get an, another episode out there. We've got a few lined up over the next few weeks, but today we are welcoming Brian Leib to the podcast. I'm so excited to be chatting with Brian. We met very recently. I know you two have met before, but um, Brian's got a super interesting story around what he's doing now in terms of the um, whole Iranian picture and uh, American friends of, of, of Iran, etc. And we're going to be talking about that. And um, we're also going to be talking about his his role and and journalistic role within Newsmax and uh, just chatting about the region and how it all comes back to the Abraham Accords. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Robert, thank welcome, you for having Brian. Uh, great to see you again. Honored to be with the, both of you. The last time I spoke to Brian, he was interviewing me. This is fantastic. <laughs> the roles are reversed. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> so, look, Brian, just give our listeners a sense of you. Tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Um, you know, just looking at your own resume, um, you know, your, your story of coming to the wider regional story and picture um, and commentary on it has, has been, you know, growing over the years. What, what's piqued your interest in getting so involved in the region? Yeah, so uh, again, thank you to the both of you for, for having me on. It's uh, really an honor to, to be on this podcast and to, to be part of the guests uh, that have uh, joined the podcast. You know, I, I have a very 
interesting story uh, in, in the sense of um, never in a million years did I ever think that, uh, that I would be in the role that I'm in right now. Um, I, at a very young age, uh, identified uh, that I wanted to join my family business, my father's business that he had had for 25 years. And I started at the bottom of that business, uh, worked my way, you know, up uh, all the way to the top and ultimately becoming the chief operating officer of the business. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, we, we had a, a parting of ways. We had a difference of opinion on how the business should be run, how the business should grow. Um, and I found myself at a very young age, at 25 years old, having to pivot, having to completely recreate myself and redefine, uh, you know, who I am. Uh, so along the way, I've worn a lot of hats. Uh, I've worn some, some business hats. Uh, I've worn some nonprofit hats, some political hats. Uh, and uh, it's been an amazing ride. And, you know, the one thing that, um, you know, it's cliche to say, uh, I know it's cliche to say, but, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it's going to make you stronger. And uh, I've, I've been through a lot, you know, a lot of ups and downs. Um, and the one thing I've always tried to do uh, is to just be genuine uh, lead with hard work, um, and to, uh, to be a good listener. And, uh, you know, it's brought me, uh, to the place that I am to now, uh, or I should say the place that I am now, and, and that I'm the executive director, uh, of a U.S.-based group called the Iranian Americans for Liberty. Uh, the organization, uh, is focused on, uh, being a voice for the Iranian American community, uh, focused on strengthening, uh, U.S. foreign policy as it relates, uh, to Iran. Uh, and, and, and in the region. Uh, and uh, it's been it's been amazing myself not being Iranian. Uh, you know, it's uh, really been truly an eye opening experience uh, to interact with with both the board of directors that I report to uh, and also uh, to just hundreds and thousands of Iranian Americans. Uh, and we'll you know dive into some of those stories. Uh, but it's truly been amazing. Um, and, and it's, and it's, listen, it's, it's a, it's an important fight that, that we're fighting right now. Uh, and it's all, it's all interconnected. How many Iranian Americans are there? Hundreds of thousands. Wow. I didn't realize it was such a big diaspora like that. Yeah. Some of the hotspots, uh, you know, will be New York city, uh, Long Island in, in New York as well. Uh, California, all over the place from, you know, LA to, you know, all, all the way to the Southern tip in California. Uh, and then there's, um, you know, quite a bit of Iranian Americans in Texas in Virginia, in New Jersey. Uh, so, you know, it's spread out all throughout the country. And, and I've got to tell you, you know, Rob, one of the, the things that, that I was really just so impressed with when I first started connecting with these individuals is that, they are all so proud to be Americans and they're all so proud to be playing, you know, their part and playing their role um, in strengthening this country, making this country better. Uh, but with that said, they're also very cognizant of the fact that while they, while they are here in America and enjoy the, the freedoms and liberties that we have here in America, a lot of their brothers and sisters back home in Iran don't have those same freedom, you know, freedoms and liberties. So, um, so while they're, they're very proud of, uh, being Americans, they're also be very proud of, of their, their heritage as well. Ryan, I, I, it would seem to me that, you know, not just the Jewish, um, Iranian American, but there would be widespread support from the, from the 
non-Jewish Iranian community in the United States, which is pretty big. Is this something that you also do? Do you connect with other sort of expat Iranians or, or di Iranian diaspora in the United States? Yeah, so, you know, our organization, uh, you know, doesn't, uh, you know, focus on, you know, the, the Jewish or non-Jewish community. I mean, we're, oh. we're, a, big, we're, we're a big tent that, um, you know, provides a platform to, to any Iranian Americans. Um, and certainly there are quite a bit of, uh, of uh, Persian Jewish Americans uh, here in this country. Uh, and they are, are certainly a big part of our organization. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we connect all across the board. Um, from, ah. from every, every religion. And everybody is a, a people who I'm assuming vehemently are against the current regime and are working, you know, for the freedom of their brothers and sisters over there. What type of work can you do? I mean, apart from lobbying Washington, are there other things you can do to help? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of uh, the one of the projects that we've been working on is providing a platform, you know, to Iranian Americans who want to speak out against the regime. Um, you know, for many years, Flora, there's been uh, groups here in the U.S., uh, one in particular called NIAC, the National Iranian American Council. Uh, and uh, they have, you know, certainly been around for a while now and have quite a bit of influence in Washington, D.C., uh, but they've also uh, really upset uh, the Iranian diaspora here in this country um, because, um, you know, they're, they're not really, you know, advocating, you know, for, uh, for the Iranian people back home. They're not advocating, you know, for the community here in the U.S. Um, so, um, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, we're filling a void is providing a platform uh, to Iranian Americans. Uh, and, and we don't care, you know, if they're Democrats or Republicans, uh, we, we could absolutely care less what their political party is. Um, we just want to help, you know, help them raise their voice. Because as we know, guys, when one person speaks out and raises their voice, a domino effect happens. Um, so, you know, and, and hopefully we can, you know, keep that domino going um, uh, to really, you know, raise raise the alarm about what's happening, you know, back home in Iran. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that really blew me away when I first started getting into this community and learning all the ins and outs. And, you know, I thought I knew so much about the Iranian regime and the way that they operate. And man, was I wrong. Uh, you know, and it's little things like, um, you know, females, women in, in Iran are legally considered half of a man. They're considered half of a man. Uh, you know, yeah. men, men can, can, can't walk around in shorts in Iran. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you could just go on and on and on about like some really well, basic women, women get beaten on the streets for not uh, seeming to be modest. I'm reading an incredible book at the moment uh, called um, Iran Awakening about um, a woman who was a judge in the court. And after the revolution, they made her a secretary because the woman could never be a judge. of course. And people don't understand. And this is what kills me about these crazy progressives in America who think that they're somehow defending some type of uh, progressivity by, uh, by urging the government not to, you know, not to play hardball with Iran. They don't understand that it's like a handmaid's tale. I mean, I say to people, just imagine it's a handmaid's tale. It's that show and everything they do against women that's happening in Iran right now. And people have no idea. I think a lot of people don't have an idea that that's happening, but, you know, something that, that we're working on as an organization is exposing the people here in America 
that are providing uh, a platform yep. and being mouthpieces. And money. And, and of course, in money, but but I mean, how hypocritical is it, you know, for uh, a female uh, Iranian American to speak out in support of the Iranian regime? I mean, how much of a hypocrite can you be? Um, you know, to, when it's easier when you're not there <laughs> to do it from the United States if they were living there and then suffering the indignities that women suffer and the oppression, it would be a different story. That's very true. Brian, is there any any hope in sight? Like, is there opposition groups that have any chance of, I mean, do you see anything changing in the next five, 10 years? Sorry, I, cer- I, I, I certainly do. I, I see things changing. Uh, I, I see, I see uh, voices continuing to get louder and louder, you know, not just here in the U.S., but also throughout the world. Uh, and I think um, at the end of the day, when we're looking, you know, at the Islamic Republic of Iran and their regime that's been ruling that country since 1979, um, not much has changed. You know, not much has changed in the last couple of decades in terms of the way that they govern internally and also externally. Uh, And I think that, you know, we're going to touch a little bit, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, economic sanctions that the the Trump administration uh, had put on this administration. But those sanctions were working. Um, It's gotten to the point now where the Iranian regime uh, is really, you know, uh, scrambling, you know, for where their next billion is going to yeah. come from. I mean, hey, listen, if we if we could all, you know, be so fortunate to be wondering where our next billion is going to come from, but um, you know, that's that's a situation, you know, that's happening in Iran right now, and uh, you know, and you see it happening, you know, all throughout the region, you know, in, in terms of the the organizations that they've been supporting, the terrorist organizations that they've been supporting for the last couple of decades. And I think it's going to it's going to hit a critical mass. It's going to hit a critical mass where the Iranian people rise up. Uh, and if they have a, an administration here in this country that actually cares about the Iranian people and not about the regime, then it's going to be a good recipe for finally a new era uh, in Iran. Yeah. Well, I think it's highly unlikely that any administration in the US, particularly the current one, is going to want to get involved in any type of regime change, let alone in Iran, just based on the past 20 years of history that, you know, the tolerance for that type of um, activity is so low. So, I mean, what hope do we have? I mean, we're going to touch on many of the other um, topics around this, but... Um, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be that type of conversation happening. It's very much now shifted, as we've said. We have maximum pressure from Trump's administration. Um, I think I saw um, Ellie, I forget her surname. She was the deputy, um, deputy envoy to, uh, to Ilan Khan in the State Department. Ellie Kohanim. She's so I, right. a lovely so she, woman, a great friend. She seems amazing. I mean, she gave an interview the other day saying Iran's basically down to its last four billion in foreign reserves. And, you know, it sounds a lot to me, but it's it's not when you're a major country. And, you know, that that was a turning point and that is a turning point. But that is being pushed way back because of these conversations that Biden's administration are having and the JCPOA are trying to resume and, and reenter the deal. Um, this has huge effects on the region, let alone for the Abraham Accords as well. And we'll, we'll touch on that. But I don't think regime change is anywhere on anyone's agenda. Well, you know, I, I, I want to be very clear. I'm not advocating uh, for regime change. You know, that's that's not something, you know, for me as an American uh, to be advocating for. But if the Iranian people uh, are speaking out uh, and saying that it is time for a regime change, then 
I'd like to be able to support the Iranian people uh, because I can only imagine, I can only imagine what it's like living every day in that country. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we as a country need to do, we as Americans need to do everything that we can to support the Iranian people. And it's so disheartening uh, to see what's happening right now with the current uh, administration, with President Biden, uh, with the cast of characters that he's reassembled. Uh, from the Obama days. And, and it just seems like it's all full steam ahead uh, to re-enter the JCPOA, to realign uh, the region and make Iran an ally of the United States of America. Uh, and it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous, guys, that, that my country, my government is entertaining, having that kind of a conversation with a regime uh, that is the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism, uh, one of the most notorious human rights abusers in the world. Uh, I mean, you could just go on and on and on, but here we are, and, and, and the American government is doing everything that they can to um, get back into this this flawed JCPOA, uh, and it's just it's absolutely ridiculous. And uh, you know, I know we'll touch touch uh, touch on this a little bit more. What do American Iranians generally say about the JCPOA? initiatives what's the the feedback on the ground from the 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 community there yeah so the the feedback uh is it doesn't matter you know if it's coming from the left or from the right i mean i think most the majority of iranian americans are, are firmly against uh firmly against the jcpoa they're firmly against the iranian regime uh but i will tell you a lot of them feel very frustrated right now they feel like we made so much progress with President Trump uh, and now with President Biden uh, in the White House, they, they feel like someone took their dog out back and shot their dog. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, hopefully, you know, some of the work that we can do at the Iranian Americans for Liberty is give people hope, give people a platform to continue raising their voices, continue speaking out against the regime um, because, the moment people stop raising their voices uh, is the moment that the regime is going to get what, what, what they want and, and achieve, their, achieve their end goal. So we've got to keep raising our voices uh, to speak out. Um, Brian, do you see the Abraham Accords as a game changer in terms of the story with Iran? Because now basically we have allies in the region who have as much of an interest to stopping them you know, against the American government, uh, you know, as, as we do. What, what do you, how has this changed things? Yeah, absolutely, For I, I think the Abraham Accords were a game changer on so many different levels. And, and I, uh, I've coined like a, a phrase here that I, I like to say, and that I think the Abraham Accords, you know, provided the runway uh, needed uh, for these, you know, long held friendships and relationships between Jews and Arabs that were unfortunately held in the darkness uh, to then take off, off the runway and into the light for the world to see. Uh, and um, the Abraham Accords have certainly been a game changer. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's provided hope, I think, to a lot of people that, that thought that peace would never, peace would never happen in the region. Uh, and now, you know, you have, you know, Israel making peace with uh, with multiple amounts of countries and hopefully uh, more to come. Uh, and um, it truly, you know, has been, you know, a game changer, I think, in the Middle East. And uh, and also, like, to your point, it, it's 
it's, uh, you know, UAE, uh, Sudan, Morocco, Bahrain, et cetera, uh, have all aligned, uh, you know, with Israel uh, because of the aggression coming from the Iranian regime. Uh, and um, it's uh, it's been nice to see. I, I hope it keeps going. I, I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little a little frustrated that our, our current uh, Secretary of State and, and his and his staff uh, can't find uh, uh, the chutzpah or the whatever it takes to actually say the words Abraham Accords. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but they said it. Yeah, well, oh, they like God. to say they like to say normalization normalization agreements. Normalization. They they don't they don't. They don't want to give President Trump the credit uh, for for making peace in the Middle East without any bloodshed. And um, but uh, the Abraham Accords, I think, are the gift that are going to keep giving uh, for years and years and years. And, you know, certainly uh, the both of you and the work that you do, uh, you know, are on the forefront of creating relationships with uh, business relationships. And that's very powerful, uh, you know, yeah. driving, you know, driving uh, the economic uh, arm of it. But in my personal opinion, I think, um, you know, what's really most powerful about the Abraham Accords is the fact that you have countries like Morocco who are uh, completely changing their education system uh, in yeah. terms of you know, how they educate about Israel. You have Saudi Arabia scrubbing their textbooks. Well, they're not even signed in and they're already changing their textbooks, which is incredible. Means they're preparing for a future normalization, which is wonderful. I mean, it might be it might be that we're just still in that post new administration period but to me it feels like and Fleur you'll you'll perhaps speak about this you were on the ground there and you're doing you know lots and lots of work around the accords I hope that the Abraham Accords isn't a victim another victim of you know this cancel culture against anything that you know doesn't fit in with the sort of progressive woke um, agenda. Well that's the beauty of the Abraham Accords you see that the people the populations of the Abrahamic countries, uh, they're not woke. They're traditional people, the traditional Muslims that we have so much in common with. That's the truth, you know, in terms of the family, in terms of the structure of communities. Uh, we have way more in common with them than with the woke progressives of the West. That's the truth. And so I think that um, we are living in historic times. And I think that, of course, that united front against Iran is really, I mean, in terms of security is the most significant thing that's happened during the Abraham Accords, that it's kind of a realignment of the region between the peace-loving countries and the aggressive countries. And that, that's really, uh, I see the, the actual geopolitical significance of the Abraham Accords. Of course, business and culture, that we'll be talking about for many years, but in terms of the geopolitics, that's the most significant thing. We're no, we're no longer al alone in the region fighting Iran, who has threatened to wipe us from the face of the of the planet. So um, I think to me, that's, that's extremely, extremely game changing. Well, I think I think I, uh, firstly, obviously, I agree with you, but we've seen over the last week an attack on their Natanz facility. Uh, these are, you know, who could it have been? Wasn't who, who, me. <laughs> who could it have been? I wonder. But you know, these are these are important developments. But at some point, if we get to a stage where we will need much more firepower, let's just call it, to to actually end the possibility of a nuclear weapon being in the hands of the Iranians, we're going to need strategic regional partners to to enable us to do that. And if we haven't Absolutely. got our 
you know, usual friend in the region being the US who've got our back, um, we're going to need these new relationships. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And to add on to that, you know, I, I for the for the longest time, you know, when it came to when it came to Iran uh, obtaining a nuclear weapon, it, it was always, you know, my belief that the United States of America would be the first to turn uh, to make sure that that never happens. Uh, and I guess in a, in a way, uh, guys, I kind of always forgot about not forgot, but I, I just didn't realize how aggressive Israel would be. Um, to fill a void if that void ever needed to be filled. Um, because, uh, I mean, let's be honest, you know, for the longest time, uh, we never had to even entertain the fact that Israel would have to fill that void because the United States of America recognized the pure evil uh, that is the Iranian regime. Uh, now, this current president uh, and his administration are, are, are taking a, di a different path. Um, but with that said, I can rest easy at night knowing that the Israeli government will never let Iran obtain a nuclear weapon, uh, and um, you know, it, it again it would have been would have been nice uh, if the U.S. was leading that fight uh, or, or leading that deterrent. Uh, but the fact that that Israel has every single capability uh, that they need uh, and, and resources that they need to to make sure that doesn't happen uh, makes me sleep well at night because I know regardless of who, who's in power in Israel. I think everyone is aligned uh, across all the political parties uh, that Iran can never obtain a nuclear weapon. So um, so with that said, I'm, I'm pretty confident that Iran will never obtain a nuclear weapon. I think we're definitely looking at a potential scenario like with Begin and Reagan, where we wake up one morning and, you know, Israel struck the facilities in, in, in Iraq and, you know, President Reagan wasn't informed. There was a blowback, but you know, it, it, we needed to do what we needed to do. And, you know, history shows if you don't stand up to these bullies and this is, this is the bully of our time. Then And, and, and I, and I've got to say, Robert, it is not for any other country, uh, whether it's my country or anyone in the region, it's not up for us to tell Israel what is in Israel's best interest. At the end of the day, Israel uh, is a sovereign nation that is going to do whatever they have to do to ensure survival. Uh, and I, I don't think Israel should be worried about, you know, what the United States government thinks when it comes to that. At the end of the day, the survival of the Jewish state, the survival of the Jewish people is paramount to anything else. I read a great quote today, actually, from Winston Churchill. It says, the appeaser um, hopes that the crocodile will eat him last. Um, and it's so true of the Iranian government. Um, you can only deal with a bully um, with a hard hand. And people don't seem to understand this. But let me tell you, all uh, the friends and partners I have in the UAE, they understand it completely. They really do. And, that, and to ha not have to explain to somebody something so existential for us is just wonderful. And this is really the basis of this common interest and common future that we have with them. Brian, talk to us about the initiative that you're involved with um, around non-nuclear holocaust. Um, just talk to us a little bit about that, because I think that plays into some of what we're talking about here. It certainly does. And it's something that, that I'm very proud and, and honored to, to be able to share with the both of you and share with your audience. Um, you know, so how apropos uh, on the Abraham Accords podcast, you know, I'm, I'm able to talk about this because 
uh, as Israel has been making peace all throughout the world with the Abraham Accords, there hasn't really been much happening here in the U.S. Uh, between the Iranian-American community and the Jewish-American community. Uh, so, you know, there haven't, there haven't really been, you know, uh, anything happening here to, to make our own Abraham Accords. Uh, but that changed. That changed uh, a couple weeks ago when the Zionist Organization of America, the ZOA, uh, led by Mort Klein uh, and our organization, the Iranian Americans for Liberty, launched a co-branded video uh, that features uh, the spokesperson for the campaign, Lisa Daftari, uh, calling for no nuclear holocaust, calling for uh, D.C. lawmakers, Ameri uh, Washington, D.C. lawmakers, uh, to, to really stand up, uh, you know, and say no to a nuclear holocaust and say yes to peace. And it's, to the best of my knowledge, the first time that an Iranian American and Jewish American group have ever, have ever come together uh, and, and worked together here in this country. Um, and, um, you know, to, to Floor's point about how, um, you know, Israel and UAE, you know, are, are working together because of, you know, shared principles and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, here you have Iranian Americans and Jewish Americans coming together uh, to say that if Iran were ever able to obtain a nuclear weapon, um, it would be lights out, obviously, for Israel, unfortunately. Um, so not the just for Israel, have, though. But not, right, just not, just, Israel. not just for Israel. Imagine and, and, Iran and, with a nuclear weapon. I mean, I think the whole world is in danger. If a, a crazy, genocidal, homophobic, misogynistic, uh, you know, suicidal regime gets their hands on a nuclear weapon, really, everybody should be concerned about that. Of course, we're first in line, that's for sure. But I, th I think everybody should be worried. Yeah, of course they should be. Uh, everyone should certainly be worried. And, you know, if, uh, if the listeners uh, want to take a look at what this campaign and what this video looks like, they can go to no nuclearholocaust.com take a look at Amazing. the video and uh, and sign the petition uh and uh you know the end game here is uh you know hopefully we're in a position where we're able to to garner thousands of signatures and then we want to be able to deliver this uh uh to uh to our decision makers in dc uh to show them that jewish americans iranian americans are aligned together uh saying yes to peace and saying no to a nuclear holocaust and saying no to a nuclear iran Brian, I want to amazing. Brian, I want to touch shortly on your role within Newsmax as a insider on the Abraham Accords in the region and the Middle East right. generally. I know you do a lot of reporting on that, appearing on 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 their news channel and uh, you know writing op-ed pieces. Um, but before I do that, I know that you have been. To, to whatever extent you could on your travels across the nation for the for, for your current role as executive director just give us some of the stories that you've been hearing on the ground and um, that you've been you've been you know privileged probably to, to be able to listen to yeah so I mean I've heard a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of stories and uh, I, I wish I could tell you a lot of them were great stories but unfortunately they're they're, they're really not a lot of great stories it's uh the conversations that I've been having uh, with Iranian Americans and the things that they've told me that their families have gone through uh, is is uh, is really it's tough to hear. Uh, it's tough to listen to, uh, and um, you know. But I but I should say there 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 have been a lot of positives in my in my uh, like you said virtual travels and some of those positives have been 
uh, in that when I'm connecting with the Iranian American community, most of uh, the individuals I speak to, by the way, are, are not Jewish. Um, so one of the things uh, that I always hear from them is that they're very supportive of Israel. Uh, they're very supportive of the Jewish people's right to self-determinate in our ancestral homeland, also known as Zionism. Uh, and, you know, they tell me that they can't understand anti-Semitism and, and, and that they think that anti-Semitism is a sickness. Um, you know, so, you know, hearing this uh, from Iranian Americans, non-Jewish Iranian Americans, just to, just to summarize, supportive of Israel supportive of Zionism, and they think anti-Semitism is a sickness. Um, that is something that before I got involved in this space, I never would have, would have been able to tell you with a straight face and believe it. Um, but it's true. And, and, and that's something that I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to, to share that with you guys and, and with your listeners, because um, I think there's a lot of common misconceptions uh, about all different types of communities. Um, but, uh, it's really been, it's really been a blessing to hear, uh, and interact with so many people, uh, that, you know, uh, support the work that we're doing. And, and I, and I will touch on, on something really quickly, uh, with regards to an individual, an individual by the name of Trita Parsi. Uh, Trita is the, uh, co-founder of NIAC. He's now the executive vice president, uh, executive vice president of the Quincy Institute, uh, and, um, just last week, uh, Twita decided he wanted to launch a Twitter attack against me. And in his Twitter attack, he took a screenshot of my Twitter, Twitter, uh, account. And he said, LOL, look at this guy. He's, uh, the executive director of the Iranian Americans for Liberty. You know, by the way, he used to work for the Israeli American council. So Trita wanted all of his followers to know that there's a Jew working at the Iranian Americans for Liberty. Um, I guess Trita doesn't know me too well, uh, because if he thought that that was going to uh, scare me or, or get me to, to scale back on my efforts, uh, he's got another thing coming to him. But it's, uh, it's very interesting. I'm sharing this story because I had so many positive experiences with members of, of the Iranian American community. Um, but then you have people like Trita, who see Jewish Americans and Iranian Americans working together, and it scares them. It scares them because we're changing the narrative out there. The story that I just mm -hmm. told you about Iranian Americans telling me they support Israel, they think anti-Semitism is, is a sickness. Do you think Trita Parsi would ever tell that story? Are the Iranian Americans who are not Jewish, are they as concerned with the Biden administration as the Jewish ones in terms of the JCPOA? Yeah, I, I think so. I don't think it's exclusive uh, to, you know, to, to to their religion. I think most Iranian Americans that I speak to, um, and by the way, a lot of Democrats that I speak to, uh, are very troubled uh, with the Biden administration, very troubled, you know, with uh, the steps that they're taking uh, to appease the Iranian regime. Uh, and, um, you know, they're, they're raising their voices, and, and us as an organization are doing everything that we can to to, to help uh, their voices get out there because uh, a lot of groups, you know, they, they don't want voices like that uh, making their way into the mainstream. Um, and, uh, you know, Robert, just to touch on Newsmax really quickly, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing the way things happen in life, you know, and uh, I remember um, at the end of last year, I sent an email to, to Chris Ruddy, uh, who's uh, founder CEO of Newsmax, uh, and pitched him cold, you know, cold pitched him on some different ideas. And, you know, next thing you know, 
Uh, you know, he's uh, making a very generous offer for me to, to become a Newsmax insider, which uh, gives me an opportunity to, uh, I can write as little as I want or as much as I want. Um, and uh, I have a column titled The Middle East View. Uh, and uh, I've really tried to use my column to, you know, to shed light on the uh, amazing things that are happening because of the Abraham Accords, uh, to shed light on uh, the brutal Iranian regime. Uh, and to, to just tell the story, you know, of the region. So it's, um, it's really been a blessing. And, you know, the one thing I would, I would share with your listeners, uh, this isn't specific to politics. It's, it's kind of, I guess, towards anything in life is that, you know, when, when someone gives you an opportunity, it's up to you, uh, to decide what you're going to make of that opportunity. Um, you know, so, you know, when I was presented this opportunity, I could have just published, you know, one piece a month and, uh, and, and been happy with that, but I decided uh, I was going to do a lot more than that. And I think year to date now, we're wow, almost uh, almost into May. Uh, I think I've published something around nine or ten pieces on Newsmax. Uh, I've been um, you know featured you know on Newsmax National Report on multiple occasions, uh, and it's been fantastic. And uh, really thankful to, to Chris and uh, the whole team of Newsmax for the opportunity. And um, it's. Uh, it's, it's really been a, a wild ride the last couple of months. So I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Look, it's, it, it's important. Lovely. It's super important that people are telling the story of the Abram at Ham Accords from the, the other perspective that they're not getting on the other media channels. They're not hearing the words Abraham Accords enough. Um, and, you know, it, it's being pushed under the, the table and uh, as, they, as they push for obviously their different agenda. So your work is critical. Um, I love what Newsmax are doing and being another voice out there presenting, um, you know, really what I think most regular people think. This is not some fringe channel. This is what, you know, traditional people think. And, and I think, uh, you know, your work's really important. So keep that up. I Thank agree you. with you. Thank you. And I honestly believe, like you said, you could have done the minimal. <laughs> but, you know, when God opens a door, it's up to you to walk through it. And so, uh, you know, that's how I approach life. You know, the doors and the windows open all the time, but you have to jump or walk through. So well done for walking through that door the whole time. Well, thank you. And, and uh, you know, just a, a caveat or an add-on, Robert, to what you just said is, uh, you know, Newsmax, uh, you know, Newsmax is, is probably the fastest growing uh, cable news uh, network in America. Uh, their website has something in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 million uh, unique visitors every month uh, that are going wow. onto their website, which in comparison, uh, if you compare that to, I don't want to, you know, mention names of some of the other ones, but um, it, it's truly remarkable, the growth that Newsmax has had. And people on the far left want to want to paint Newsmax as this like far right organization. And they're just, they couldn't be any farther from the truth. And even it's even gotten to the point where CNN um, and some of their friends in Congress, I believe have tried to censor Newsmax and get Newsmax taken off of the air. Um, and um, I mean, we briefly talked a little bit about the cancel culture and how that applies to the Abraham Accords, but you know, the cancel culture in general in this country right now is just so, it's destructive. 
it is it is not what I believe in as an American. I have plenty of friends uh, on all sides of the political spectrum. And you know what, guys, I don't cancel them uh, because they have different opinions and different views. I engage in conversation with them. And you know what? Sometimes we meet in the middle and sometimes we don't. Uh, and that's okay. You know, that's, that's a bedrock founding principle of, of, of being an American. Uh, and it's really unfortunate to see what cancel culture is doing in this country. Uh, and I pray, I really do pray that cancel culture doesn't make its way uh, to the Abraham Accords and to the peace that's happening in the Middle East, because it's truly um, a paradigm shift in terms of what, what has happened. The both of you have a front row seat uh, to that work that's happening and playing such a major role, um, you know, in what's happening. And, and I just, uh, I'm going to do whatever I can to, to help the both of you and, and, and help anyone in that region um, that wants to keep moving forward towards peace, because uh, it's really, it's really remarkable, uh, you know, to see, you know, Jews and Arabs uh, coming together uh, in such a public manner. And uh, the more and more that the more and more of those relationships that come out into the light for the world to see, the better our world's going to be. So kudos Brian, to both. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, your words are really ring true. And it's not just about the Abraham Accords, signatory countries. It's trickling everywhere. I'm getting messages from people in Egypt saying, why can't, why can't you do an Egypt-Israel business council? You know, and, 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 and why can't we have that same relationship? People are thirsty for this. It's not about religion. This is about religion being politicized, like the way that it is in Iran, religion politicized for very, very um, sinister aims. And uh, we've got to step out of that and, and focus on what unites us. And there's so much that unites us as people, uh, especially as Semitic people. And this is what we're trying to focus on. And really thank you for being the person reporting it over there in the United States and giving it the attention that it truly deserves. That's, I'm, I'm happy to, and uh, certainly as, as the both of you continue to, to do the great work that you're doing, you know, please keep me in the loop and you know, let me know and, and I'll do whatever I can to use my platform to, to show the world uh, that it is possible for Jews and Arabs to make peace. It is possible for Jews and Arabs to coexist um, and um, I'll do whatever I can to help. Brian, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're someone who is obviously motivated by service and purpose and um, keep up the good fight. We're, we're on the same yeah. team and uh, we really appreciate all the work you're doing. We appreciate you taking the time to be a guest on the podcast today and we look forward to keeping in touch. Well, well thank you to the both of you and for the kind words and, uh, and for, the, for the invitation to, to join this podcast and um, you know, let's let's all continue, you know, working together to do what we can to, to bring peace all over the world. Uh, and, um, you know, that's uh, that's that's what we need to do. Uh, we need to we need to continue, continue bringing peace throughout the world and uh, make it a better place uh, for those that come behind us. So thank you again for having me. And, and thank, thank you, you again for all of your hard work. Thank you for joining Fleur and I on the Abraham Accords podcast. Remember to subscribe so you can be updated on more episodes.